In just a few moments, we're going to join back together together in Acts chapter 2. If you want to go there now, you may. Kind of lay the foundation for where we're going this morning. I want you to know that our deacons and trustees and I have often had need to discuss some of the the physical aspects of the church and how best to guide the church through certain decisions. Every every organization must deal with the the physical aspects of things such as, and when I mean the physical aspects of things, I mean such as maintaining the property and maintaining buildings and dealing with the assets and the liabilities. And the church is very similar to every other institution that must deal with those things, but the church is also very different from every other institution, man-made institution, in that we must always remember that those things that we consider to be those physical aspects of the church, those things do not hold the same importance and priority for us as the spiritual aspects do. Having said that, I want you to know that we are striving for balance. There must be balance because we can't give all of our attention to the spiritual aspects of God's church and just ignore the physical. They, they are a factor and we need to consider them. It's, it's very apparent as we study in Acts chapter 2, as you look at the young church, the young church, the infant church is dealing with the physical aspects of the church. They're, they're gathering together and they're trying to meet the needs that occur as they meet together. And so it's apparent that they were doing the same thing. First this morning, before we go to back, back to Acts chapter 2, first I'd like to take, uh, take you to a few things and share with you some of the things that we've been discussing in our meetings as deacons over the last couple of years, actually, and then with our trustees as we've included them recently in some of these, uh, this thinking. Uh, this should help you understand that there is more to our growth as a church than what might meet the eye. Some of the things that we've been discussing and contemplating as a leadership have to do with our existing facilities. And there are at times during the year, specifically the summer months, when we are at near capacity or at or near capacity, and and there are interesting studies that indicate, you know, you reach about 80% capacity in your parking lot or in your in your pews, and, and that will uh, tend to plateau your growth. And and we, we tend to experience that a bit in the summertime, especially when our pews are not full, but pretty close to being full, and probably 80% or more uh, during several weeks in the summer, at least for a couple of months, maybe eight or ten weeks, we experience that. And that can actually have an impact on the growth of the church year-round. And what we've discussed is how to handle and prepare for numerical growth should God continue to bring it. And though the physical space and, and the current structure may not seem like a need at this time of year. If you look around and you see the empty pews this morning, you might think, why are we talking about the space in the church when you know it looks like we're fine, we got room to grow? It is a factor in, in the summer months. And the things that, that occur in the summer months can actually impact the growth in, in the winter months when you consider the fact that, again, the studies indicate when you know people, human human nature says, uh, newcomers, people who are guests for the first time and come in and join us, may not be terribly comfortable climbing over people to sit in that one spot that's available in the summertime or, or the two or three that are hard to find. Or even coming into the parking lot and having to look for a place to squeeze into the lot. Even this time of year when the snow is heavy, our par- parking lot shrinks. And that parking lot at this time of year can even be 
a challenge for us when it comes time for people to come on a Sunday and things are full and to look for a place to park, even if we do have plenty of room here. And so we're thinking about those things and we're talking about what God might have for us in the future and we want to be diligent to be, to be thoughtful and prayerful and, and resourceful and to be very careful that we invest the resources that God has blessed us with. And let me make it very clear that God has blessed us. We, we have absolutely zero debt as a church, which we praise God for. And we have many blessings that God has blessed us with, uh, to say the least, people whom God has given us to minister with, who minister with us, we minister together, and people who give generously to the work of the church. And so we are thinking through some of these aspects. There are other things that we're thinking about as well. Recently, we, we approved uh, finances to improve our nursery facilities, and none too soon as we have new life being infused into the church, and, and we are praising God for that. And so that's one small thing that we can do to help improve the facilities and meet some of our current needs. But there are some larger things that we're looking at, such as the fact, and I hate to announce things like this, but we, we don't have handicapped accessible restrooms in this building. We don't have handicapped accessibility to half of the structure. We can't put someone in a wheelchair and get them downstairs easily uh, without carrying them, and we've done that with people who've been willing to let us do that. We're happy to carry people in their wheelchairs downstairs, but that's not ideal, and we know that. And so we're thinking about things like that and praying about how God would have us prepare for a future with those kinds of challenges in front of us, and sometimes limitations. And sometimes those kinds of limitations can actually plateau the growth of the church when we might look around now and say, well, there's plenty of room, and I don't see anybody in a wheelchair today. And, and you know, we, we look at those things sometimes in the here and now and don't look forward. We're trying to look forward. Often the first thought to do in, in dealing with some of those things is, well, let's, let's add the ramp to the basement, or let's add those handicapped restrooms, um, or let's... You know, sometimes it's increase or bump out, you know, increase the size of facilities a little, a little bit to meet that particular need. But what we're trying to think about and be careful about is that we, that we not be hasty and make decisions that will cost a considerable amount because adding handicapped restrooms, for instance, would be a very costly prospect. When there's the potential for numerical growth that God may have for us and continue to grow us numerically, when uh, we fill this worship worship place, this auditorium, we may need to think about a larger structure for that also. One of the things that we're also talking about is the potential to deal with, uh, one of the things that we can do to deal with our summer uh, growth and the summer room challenges is to to start a second service on Sunday mornings, possibly before the Sunday school hour, so that we now have two worship times when when we can cycle people through the parking lot and through the pews to have an opportunity to come and worship together at two other two times instead of one. And that would help alleviate in the short term some of those challenges. And that's always a wise thing to use the structure that God has given us right now and to be more resourceful about, about how we use it because, frankly, this building sits empty about 80% of the week. And so if we can use it more than we are now without adding anything on, we want to do that and we want to be thoughtful about that. And that could be a time for us to think about and invest in and and save the resources that God is blessing us for for a future time when we may need to add on and make improvements. Those are some of the physical concerns. Those are just some of the things that we're thinking about. And our wheels are turning as a leadership. And we're praying and asking uh, asking for God's wisdom 
We felt that it's necessary to come before you as a church and to say, here's, here's some things we're thinking about. We need you to pray with us, and we need your input. We want your, your questions if you have those. But having said that, the deacons and I are completely convinced, the trustees and the deacons and I, your leadership and I are completely convinced that we must always, though we have those physical aspects, we must always be brought back to God's Word. We must always make sure that this ministry is founded on and based on the authority of God's Word, the authority of Scriptures, and that we are asking for and searching for His wisdom in, in making our decisions. We are convinced that God, God's church that grows healthily is squarely founded on God's Word and what God's Word teaches and commands. We must first address the spiritual and primary concern for healthy growth in the church, and we find the primary concern for us in God's Word. I lay that foundation about some of the physical concerns because tonight we're going to come back and I'm going to bring you back to a passage of Scripture that's going to encourage us one more time about how we need to be growing spiritually and healthily as a church before we can even dream of being a numerically strong church. It doesn't matter how many people are here if we're not growing spiritually. And so we want to be a a place, a church that honors God's Word, obeys God's commands, and that we are taking individual responsibility to grow into Christ-likeness. And I'm convinced that God will use us to reach more and more people in our community when we, when we are submitting ourselves to God's authority in our individual lives. And we will be a church that is healthy and strong and prepared for numerical growth should God continue to bless us with that. So I bring you back to the Word now. Tonight we're going to come back to the Word, but tonight I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about what I just shared with you about some of the physical concerns and then we're going to have a time tonight to answer questions. If you have questions, I want to clarify that we haven't made any decisions. You might have heard some things that you've never thought of before. And you think, oh, no, is that where we're going? Or, or yeah, yeah, that's where we're going, whatever. I, don't want, I want you to know we haven't made any decisions. We're, we're discussing the things, the possibilities that lie ahead of us. And we're asking God for wisdom. And we want your input, your questions, if you have those about these concerns. And so that will be a time tonight when we have a time for you to ask questions tonight. And you can ask questions at any time of me or one of your deacons or trustees. Uh, we, we love to have your questions, and we want you to know that we are, we are open to that. But, but a special time tonight, so make sure you join us back tonight. I want you to go to Acts chapter 2 with me, would you please? Last week we began this brief two-part series answering the question, how does God grow a healthy church? And I want you to remember that we're coming back to the foundation. I reminded you last week that numbers don't mean health, Right? We could have many, many people in this building, and, and um, we could do lots of different kinds of things to get them here. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily indicate that we are a healthy church. And so I want to come back to God's Word once again to tell you and to remind myself of what God's standard is for a healthy church. And we need to know it, believe it, live it, preach it, right? And we find uh, very good indicators for us here in Acts chapter 2. And last week I told you, in answer to this question, how does God grow a healthy church, that, that God grows a healthy church when, and I'm using the acrostic grow, G-R-O-W, and there are four steps here that make up grow. God grows his church when his people are, and we talked about this last week, gathered, gathered. God grows his church into a healthy church when his people are gathered, and, and if you weren't here last week, we're going to put together these, this short series into audio format on uh, audio CD and make them available in numbers so that you can get them. If you didn't listen or you weren't here last week or even had a chance to listen to last week's message, I'd like you to listen to that. I'd like everybody in our church to hear these 
two weeks of studies that we're doing together so we can be together in, in uh, growing together God's way. So last week we talked about being gathered and what that meant. And, and this week we're going to talk about being, uh, being a people who are rejoicing together and obeying God's word and walking with Christ. God grows his church when his people are gathered together, rejoicing together, obeying his word and walking with Christ. Grow. Gathered, rejoicing, obeying, and walking. I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 2 and, and verse 37. I'll read verses 37 through 47 again. Then we're going to remind you briefly of where we were last week and then proceed into the last row of grow. How's that sound? Last row of grow. R-O-W we're going to be to this morning. But let's read the scripture and look at what the, what the new, new church, this young church in Acts was facing. Acts chapter 2 verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, Peter just preached the word, preached a sermon, and challenged people to believe. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's the work that God's word does. It pierces the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And as I pause right here, I want you to note this last statement here reminds us that God is the one who grows the church. Remember that, because we say God grows a healthy church, and here's how he does it. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God grows the church. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God grows his church. And his church is healthy when his people are gathered together, rejoicing together, obeying his word, and walking with Christ. Gathered, rejoicing, obeying, and walking. Last week we dealt with the gathering aspect, the gathering together of God's word. And I stated that as we see in the infant church in Acts, and it's also seen in the New Testament church at large, that God grows a healthy church when his children are gathering together. And what I meant by that is that the gathering together of God's children into the, church, into the local church is seen in the fact that people were being saved. And they were gathering together and being saved. They were coming and hearing the word being preached and then being convicted and then being saved. And that is the gathering together of those that, that God is saving. And then, and then those who were baptized, those who were saved were baptized. They, 
they obeyed the instruction of those who were teaching and preaching that they should be saved, they should repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and as a testimony that they had done that, they should pass through the waters of baptism, and they were doing that. And then, and then I noted that they were joining the fellowship. There's some record-keeping going on that indicates that they're keeping track of these are the people who are being a, becoming a part of the church, and we call that church membership. Membership is a very necessary and important thing. I'd encourage you again, get the audio of last week's message and listen to that to help, help yourself understand the importance of membership. We touched on that briefly. And then they gathered for fellowship. That's the mutual care and accountability that happens in, in our fellowship at times during our fellowship times downstairs when we get together for food and, and fellowship. But it ought to go beyond that, and it does go beyond that. And that was apparent in the early church. They met together, and then they met separately together outside of the church uh, institution, the organization, they'd meet together in their homes for encouragement and fellowship. And, the, and we see that they gathered together to serve, and then they, they, they gathered together to give. And so the gathering of God's people means that they are going to, you know, people are going to be saved. That's how the gathering just begins. And then they're baptized, and then they join the fellowship, and then they gather for fellowship, and they gather together to serve, and they gather together and give because God impresses upon their heart that the things that he has blessed them with, they need to share with those who have genuine need. And so today we arrive at the row of grow, right? R-O-W, we're going to touch on today. We're going to touch on how God has made believers a part of his plan for growing the church, and we participate by rejoicing together. And I'll explain what I mean there in a moment. Obeying God's word. We participate in the healthy growth of God's church when we obey God's word. And we participate in the healthy growth of the church when we continually and faithfully walk with Christ. We're going to touch on those three things this morning. First of all, rejoicing. God grows a healthy church when his children rejoice together. How does God grow his church? Through the rejoicing of his children. I see the rejoicing of God's children in Acts chapter 2 uh, by gathering to worship God. They gather together to worship God. Verse 42 says, and when we gather together to worship God, we're rejoicing in what he has done for us, aren't we? We're thankful for his promises. We're rejoicing in his promises. We see this in Acts chapter 2. In verse 42 it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This can be all, this, this is indicative of the kinds of worship that they were experiencing together. They were coming together to worship in the word, worship in their fellowship because of their common bond in Jesus Christ we sang about this morning. To the breaking of the bread, I take that as meaning that they observe the Lord's Supper together, another form of worship, and the prayers. They prayed together. And verse 46 says, and day by day, attending the temple together. They gathered together to worship. They gathered together for teaching, for for gathering together for breaking of the bread in their homes as well. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 46 says, I take that to, to mean that they rejoiced together. They worshiped together. They had glad and generous hearts while they were together. And they praised God, says verse 47, praising God. I'll tell you what, when God's people rejoice together and praise God together, there's a sweetness about our fellowship 
isn't there? When we thank God for who He is and we get our eyes off of ourselves and even off of one another and we say, God, You are good and righteous and holy and just, God, and You have blessed me abundantly. And that is a precious thing in the life of the church when we come together and we do that. It's obvious that that was happening in the life of the church in in Acts 2. We rejoice in God being God, don't we? You had better rejoice that God is God. You had better rejoice that God is in control. When we rejoice, we come together and we worship Him for who He is and we thank Him for the fact that He is in control and we're not. You ever stop to think about that? How thankful I am that God is in control and I'm not. How thankful I am that God is all-knowing, that He is, he is ever-present and He's concerned about the details of our lives and His church we can't control those things, can we? We can't control everything. We can't even control our own lives. I am so thankful that God's in control. And when we come together to worship Him for who He is, that is, that is our, 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 our rejoicing. We're rejoicing together in who God is and what He has done and what He will do. We rejoice together over the fact that He is the beginning and the end. He is the, the, fi- the first and final authority over all mankind. And we rejoice together when we come together and we sing songs of worship and praise and we observe together the ordinances of communion and baptism which we see going on in the early church in Acts 2. I want you to think about another area that we rejoice in. And you may not think of the preaching and teaching of the Word as as an opportunity to rejoice and worship, but it is. We also worship in the Word. When we come together and we preach the Word and and we put ourselves under the preaching and teaching of God's Word and God's commands, we worship in the Word. We do so by attending the preaching of the Word and the reading of the Word, and then we worship in the Word by taking what God says from His Word and saying, I am going to live that. I'm going to do the best I can this week to put that into practice in my life. Do you realize that the worship that we have, the worship time that we have together, doesn't end when we stop singing and start preaching? Have you ever thought about that? The worship time continues as we open the Word and rejoice in what God has given us and what He's commanded us to do. We worship together in the preaching as well. And when we, with reverence, approach God's Word with open hearts and minds, willing to accept what God teaches us through His Word, with the attitude of the heart being one of surrender to God's will, God, I'm going to come to Your Word, and I'm going to look here for what You've given me, because this is Your wisdom. And when You convict me from the things that I maybe I didn't understand before, but You're illuminating for me now, I'm going to go out, I'm going to live these things this week. I'm going to do the best I can to submit myself to Your authority, Lord. Thy will be done. That's a a humility. That's a submission to God's Word. That is worship. When you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord so that He can give you His Word to lift you up, right? And we lift our voices in song. And as we sang this morning, and we sing songs of devotion to God and worship of God and praise to God, and yes, that is worship. But our worship doesn't stop when we stop singing. It keeps going when we open the Word and with yielded hearts to what God has to say to us, I'm going to yield to you, God. That is an act of worship. We also worship when we pray. 
When we submit ourselves to God's ways, again, when you pray, it's an opportunity for you. When I pray, it's an opportunity for me to humble ourselves before the God who is in control and to say, God, I'm, I'm resigned to your plans. I, am, I want to humble myself before you, Lord, because whatever you want is what I want. And we, and we look at some of the situations in our lives and we say, God, I wouldn't ask for this one, but I know that you're in control, so... I'm going to try to be a good child. I'm going to try to put myself under your authority, God. I'm going to trust that you know far better than I do. And you allow this situation into my life. So I'm coming before you, Lord, to pray and to give this challenge and this heartache and this difficulty to you, God. Do you ever do that when you pray? Do you realize that you are worshiping God when you come and you humbly say, I want your will. So, Lord, your will be done in this situation. Please give me your wisdom. That's worship. That's rejoicing in what God has given us. He's given us the precious privilege of prayer. And He wants us to bow and yield before Him and His plans. And God grows a healthy church when we rejoice together. You want to be a healthy church? You want to be a healthy people? Open the Word. Look for opportunity to rejoice in what God has given you in His Word. You want to be a healthy church and a healthy people and come together and grow as a healthy church? Yield yourself before God's plans for you. Worship Him in the Word. Worship Him as you pray. Yes, continue to worship as you sing songs of praise, but don't forget your worship doesn't end when you stop singing. It just begins. The singing in our services is to point us to the worship of the Word. God grows a healthy church when we rejoice together. That leads us to the obeying. Oh, obeying. God grows a healthy church when his children are obeying. Verse 42 again says, and and they devoted themselves. Note that phrase there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Their obedience to God's word can be seen in their devotion. See, devotion to obeying the truth of God's word is a sign of their obedience. They committed themselves with the strength of the Holy Spirit that lives within the follower of Christ to obeying. They committed themselves to that. Have you committed yourself to obeying God's Word when you open it and you read it? And you say, boy, that convicts me. I need to change that area of my life. Do you obey? Do you open it with the intent of obeying what God teaches you in His Word? Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is a devotion to believing in and following God's commands. And there's another indicator of their obedience to God, and that was a result of their devotion to believing in and living by God's commands. Their obedience to God's word can also be seen in the fruit of their lives. They said, we're going to devote ourselves to the preaching and teaching of God's word, and then they're Lives proved it, that they were devoted. Look again with me at verses 44 through 46. It says in verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now I noted last time that 
that these verses do not indicate that they brought everything together into a great big communal pile, everything that they owned and possessed, and brought it into a great big communal pile and said, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. That's not not, not what this is teaching. But what it is teaching and what it does remind us of of the early churches that God began to work in their hearts in such a way as that when they saw a need, they said, I've got that, I can help meet that need. And they began to give to those who had genuine need. It does mean that the fruit of their devotion to Christ yielded a generous spirit that led them to share with those who had a genuine need. And their devotion to Christ yielded the fruit of love for others and it yielded generous, caring attitudes and yielded a sweet fellowship with one another. It was two-way. It was a two-way fellowship. It wasn't just a one-sided, we're going to just you know give and give and give. There was give and take. There was a communion and fellowship with other believers. And when God's children obey His commands, it was, it's going to be obvious in our devotion to His commands and in the fruit of our lives. We're going to be devoted to God's Word and say, God's Word is the standard. That's exactly what we were saying this morning as I began. I said, physical aspects, they're important, but they're not everything. What's, what's ultimately important is that we obey God's commands, that we obey God's Word, that we found this ministry in our lives on God's Word. And when we obey His commands and we're devoted to His commands, it ought to prove itself in the fruit of our lives. And their obedience of God's Word led to a faithful walk with Christ. We've been with the gathering, the rejoicing, the obeying, and now we're going to talk about the walking with Christ. W, walking. Walking with Christ. God grows a healthy church when His children are continually faithfully walking with Christ. That is a devotion and a commitment to the truth of God's Word over the long haul. A commitment to the long-term faith and obedience of the message delivered through God's Word and the obedience of it. I want you to note that verse 42 says that the believers in the early church devoted themselves. We've emphasized that fact that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And in the Greek, the word translated here for us as devoted means this, as described by one theologian, a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. They first obeyed the truth when they heard it. Peter preached the truth. And when they heard it, they first obeyed it when they heard it. And they believed. And then they set themselves on a long-term course of obedience not a short-term course of obedience. You realize that your obedience to Jesus Christ is just beginning when you realize that you need to repent of your sin and ask Jesus to save you from your sin. You realize that your obedience is just beginning. Your obedience had better be a long-term prospect. It ought to be the marathon approach for you and me. And it was for them in the early church in Acts. They devoted themselves which meant that they gave themselves to a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to this certain course of action. And that was obeying what God was teaching them. They committed themselves to listening to what was being preached in the assembly of the church and obeying it. You know, we don't gather just so that we can hear you know, good things that make us feel good and leave here all happy that we went to church today. The idea is that we gather together to hear what God says from His Word so that we would be a people who change and become more Christ-like and then leave this place and go into the workplace and go into the business place and act like Christians. So the world will go, 
First they go, what an oddball. What a weirdo. And then, you know, over the long haul, as you're committed to serving Christ and being obedient and faithful, they begin to go, you know, he's odd, but there's something about that that person's life that makes me wonder what's different about him. And then you begin to get questions. You know, I've got this problem in my life, and I wonder, how, how would you handle that if it was you? Or I've seen you deal with a certain hard situation, and I'm amazed at how you dealt with that. How did you do it? And you get to say, it's not me. In my own strength, I can't do it. It's Jesus Christ in me. Jesus Christ lives in me. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Right? That's just what it's all about. Not to just hear the good news, but to take the good news and live the good news. It is vitally important that God's children devote themselves to taking the long-term course of obedience to walking in the truth and walking with Christ and not just considering their faith in Christ being a one-time event by an, by, but an ongoing commitment, not just a one-time thing. I trusted in Christ when I was a, when I was a youngster. Well, you just started then. You didn't end then. It's important because... Our life as followers of Christ only begins when we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus. And our life with Christ is a long-term growth process, and we do not arrive at maturity overnight. So it is a long-term journey with Christ that bears the most fruit. Are you committed to the long-term journey with Christ and bearing much fruit for God's glory? God grows His church through the lives of His children who are faithfully walking day by day, month by month, year by year, decade by decade with Jesus Christ. We had a bittersweet experience yesterday. The boys and I went over to help the Friesens load some boxes into a moving van. What a sweet couple. Godly people who for decades have been serving in this fellowship and whose fingerprints can be seen all over this work. Some of them not terribly obvious at times, but if you know what they've been doing over the decades, you know that their their hands are all over this ministry. And they're not the only ones. They're just two people among many. I was challenged and encouraged last week when Alice said, and I had never heard this before, she said, long time ago, this church split. That's a sad thing, she said. She said, this church split a long time ago. There were six of us left, and we stayed. They were part of the six. And I said, are you kidding me? Look at all the people. That's fruit of your labors, fruit of your long-term commitment to Jesus Christ. And so we said goodbye to the Friesens yesterday, but we prayed with them and asked God to give them another fellowship that they would go and bless and encourage as they have us. And they are not alone. This fellowship is filled with people who are committed to the long-term approach of serving Jesus Christ faithfully no matter what comes our way. And God will not allow this church to be destroyed when we commit to faithfully serving Him for the long term. God will build His church when His people are obedient and faithful. God grows His church through the lives of His children who are walking with Him faithfully, obeying His Word. 
And if there's something I could tell you this morning that would help you be more obedient, it's, it's just to give you a word and then to explain what I mean by giving you the word. And it's, it's this word called humility. That's one of the things that impressed me about the Friesens. They are so, they would never agree that, that they are, but they're, they're humble people. They didn't stand out. They didn't go over, you know, trying to get attention for themselves. They're very humble people, but serve faithfully. And we're reminded many times in God's word, as we are in Psalm 147, verse 6, where it says, the Lord lifts up the humble. It's just completely counter to what the world tells you to do. You know, the world says, defend yourself, build yourself up, make sure everybody knows that you're here and gets out of your way. But God says, the Lord lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked to the ground. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, God reminds us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So verse 7 says, So submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I use the word humble because Satan loves to use people who say they love God who say they believe in God's word, who say they are believers, but won't humble themselves before God and won't submit to the authority of God in their lives and won't commit to the long-term approach of obedience to God. Satan loves to use people who say they're Christians, but don't live like they're Christians and haven't humbled themselves before the Lord and aren't walking with Christ. Satan loves to use people who call themselves Christians but will not humble themselves before God and yield to his commands. Satan delights in using them to render the church of Jesus Christ ineffective. But there's hope. Because, as I just read to you in James, for those who submit themselves to God, Jesus defeats the devil. Jesus suppresses the devil and his plans and thwarts them. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We do not want to be, I trust that we do not want to be a church where where Satan has his way and causes us to be a haughty people and building ourselves up and thinking much of ourselves when we ought to be humbling ourselves before God. We must humble ourselves before God's commands, willingly submitting to his authority over our lives. And when we do, God makes his church victorious when we humble ourselves. It's been said that the way up is actually the way down. The way down, humbling yourself, is actually the way up. The humility of the believers in Acts can be seen in verse 37. And those who heard the word... You first see it show up in those who heard the word and they were cut. They were pierced to the heart with the word and they actually humbled themselves to the point to stand up and say, now what do we do? Tell us what to do next. Oh, wouldn't, wouldn't you just love it if, if people you know who needed Jesus Christ would come to you and humble themselves and say, tell me what to do. How do I believe in Jesus? How do I repent of my sin? Tell me what to do to be saved. That's what these people were doing, and I see that as a sign of humility. God gave them a gift of humility, I believe, to to convict them of the sin in their hearts, to begin to save them from their sin. He allowed them to experience the humility that they needed to say, we don't know what to do. Tell us. 
And when Peter told them to repent of their sin and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they were, and they were, they were to be baptized and that they were to become a part of the fellowship, they did. They said, okay, we will repent of our sin. And then, I, now, okay, now I want to be baptized. They did. And they joined the fellowship. They became a part of the church. And then they began to give and share with those who had need. That's humility. Verse 40 also indicates that there were those who submitted themselves and humbled themselves before the apostles' preaching because it says that Peter used many words and continued to exhort. Kind of a strong word there, exhort, correct, admonish, is is kind of how that, that word is defined. Continued to exhort, that is, he warned them and challenged them, first of all, that they believe, believe in Jesus. And then you better confess your sin and repent of your sin and trust Christ. You see, that exhortation, that warning, that challenging that Peter did, that's the job of every preacher. I'm not here to make you comfortable, unfortunately for you. But I'm going to answer to God someday if I just allow you to come here and I make you comfortable. Because God's Word pierces to the heart sometimes, doesn't it? Actually, it pierces to the heart most of the time. Sometimes it comforts us when we're afflicted. And sometimes the Word afflicts us when we're comfortable, right? So the job of the preacher is to exhort and warn and challenge. That's what Peter did. And look at the fruit. He warned them that they should believe and repent and surrender to and obey God's truth. And they did. Amen. Right? So you see, what's required of us is that we are staying the long-term course of walking with Christ, obeying Jesus Christ. And I think that begins when we humble ourselves. Because you're not going to walk with Christ if you think you can do it on your own. If you haven't humbled yourself, you're not going to need Christ. Humility. What happens when God... God uses people who are growing. G-R-O-W. Who are gathering, who are rejoicing, who are obeying, who are walking with Christ faithfully. What happens when God takes a, a group of people like that and brings them together? What happens? Verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen? The Lord grows the church. God does the growing if we obey. His church will be healthy if we obey. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Our precious and holy and righteous Heavenly Father, our perfect Heavenly Father, unlike our earthly fathers whom are imperfect and are not holy, and speaking for myself, not always righteous. But knowing human nature, I can say, God, that earthly fathers are very imperfect, but we are so thankful that we have a Heavenly Father who is perfect and holy 
and just and righteous. And we can gather together this morning and worship Him. We can worship You for who You are and for what You've done for us and through us and in us. Lord, we can also worship because we know what You will do when we obey. And so, Lord, help us to obey. God, help us to be the kind of individual believers that gather together and grow, that gather as Your people who repent of their sin and trust in Christ and are baptized and joining the fellowship and serving together, worshiping together and giving together. Oh, God, help us to rejoice together over Your goodness your glory, your majesty, your provision in our lives. And Father, help us with willing hearts to obey your word. And oh God, give us your strength and wisdom to commit to humbly a long-term, faithfully walking with Jesus Christ in obedience to his word. And Lord, we will trust that you will grow your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.